So imagine a piece of paper that has four different barrels on it. What kind of barrels are we talking about? Like a barrel like an elephant stands on a barrel? Oil barrel? What are oil, we talking about? Whatever your favorite barrel. You like wine barrels? You like oil barrels? You like barrels of money? Oh, let's talk about big barrels of money. I like that. Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. We're here to talk about the only three relationships in life that really matter, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with money. And they are all tied very closely to one another. If you've ever struggled with any of these relationships at any point in your life, then you're in the right place. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-owner of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California. I'm joined by my business partner and BFF, Jim Gebhardt, who got this party started when he opened the doors of our firm in 2005. Jim and I created Your Financial Sobriety because we want to help a lot of people. We're on a mission to become the most disruptive money influencers of our time. If after listening today, you're able to take one step closer to keeping your money more aligned with the people, places, and experiences that mean the most to you, then Jim and I just got one step closer to accomplishing our mission. I love that intro. I just, I don't get tired of listening to that. It is so incredible. I love what we're doing. This is fun. This is, this is totally fun. And here we are in episode seven. The impact that we're starting to hear back from friends, family, clients, neighbors, you know, long lost cousins, you name it, is it's awesome. And that's all we've wanted to do with this podcast is to be able to help people get some clarity, right? To get some clarity on what should they be doing with their money. And we don't mean in terms of what it's invested in. Sure. Right? How do they start to heal some of the relationships with themselves, with their people, uh, so they don't repeat the same money mistakes that they've been probably kicking themselves for for a long, long time? Absolutely. Well, and part of it, too, I think, I mean, if we can help one person avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. Game, set, match. Yeah, that you've made. But, you know, Lucas, uh, my 16-year-old, said something to me when he was 14 that I thought was pretty pretty heavy for a 14-year-old to say something like this to his dad. You know, I had seen him doing some things that kind of looked like some of the crazy stuff I was doing when I was his age. And I was jumping in front of it and saying, gosh, kiddo, you're, you're going down a dangerous path. And he looked at me, and as I went through the litany of disasters that some of the choices I made led to, he looked at me and he said, you know, Dad, I appreciate you sharing that with me. And I may not make all of those mistakes, but you have to let me make my mistakes to truly learn from them. That's powerful. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. People have to be able to make their mistakes. People have to experience some of the pains that I've experienced, some of the pains that you've experienced to really learn from it. And I think what we've really created here is is a community of people who've shared in similar failures. And there's kind of a safety and a comfort in that and a place that we can have a little bit of fun because we're trying to have a little fun with this too. We are absolutely trying to have some fun. I think what I'm hearing you say is that it's not an avoidance necessarily of making mistakes. Right. It's more a permission to forgive yourself, right? A permission to let it go and be able to move forward and right the ship and get in a, get on a new course. Yeah, it absolutely is that. And when we get into the later episodes, right now we're still kind of wrapping up this whole relationship with money. We're talking about the blueprint 
of creating, you know, creating this blueprint for your money, this relationship you have with money. When we get into that relationship with self-conversation down the road in a few more episodes. Are we bringing Eckhart Tolle into this? We're going to bring the essence of Eckhart into this. Dr. Ruth? Uh, maybe a little essence of Dr. Ruth. Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> I got to work on my Dr. Ruth uh, accent. I'll spare everybody my Eckhart Tolle uh, now <laughs> impression. Yes, but we will bring that in. But for now, let's bring this back to to this idea of building the blueprint, right? Yeah, what are, we, what are we talking about well, today? Well, we're right in the middle of the blueprint. So last episode, we talked about some of the foundational stuff for how we build the blueprint. We, we started with the only three things when it comes to money we really have any control over. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You had control over those things? Oh, control. I oh, said, sorry. All right. <laughs> Didn't hear that part. Control. Control. I, I failed to have control over those I thought things. thought you said choice. Oh, choice. Yes. But what I'm talking about are the three things we actually have control over. Instead of choosing sex, drugs, and rock and roll, we have control over how much risk we take with our money. That's sex. How much tax we pay on our money. That's drugs. That's drugs. And then, of course— our spending, as you like to say, that goes in, goes outs. There you go. And that's See, freaking rock and like roll, baby. That's rock and roll. That is freaking rock and uh, roll. Uh, well, come on. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Exactly. Oh, that's wonderful. What else did we talk? Oh, we talked about the Rothschilds. And you, the Vanderbilts. And the Vanderbilts. You and I have had this incredible fascination with just studying wealthy people and their behaviors and how their relationship with money has been different from just about every other person we've ever come across in life. And and I think it's important to also denote, and I don't remember if we did this in the last episode, that when I talk about you and I obsessively studying the wealthiest families ever to exist, it doesn't necessarily mean the people with the most money. It truly means the wealthiest people and how they right. lived it's not, and how it's they not, spent it. It's not necessarily how they invested the money, right? How they used it. it. More often than not, the, the way the richest people in the history of time got, got their money – was an over-concentration in one thing. Right. Rarely has it been some diversified strategy. Right. It was more about the relationship that the family had yes. with money. And that's kind of where I think we talked about how Baron von Rothschild did such a, a beautiful job of not just taking the time to meticulously prepare this estate for his children, but to even more meticulously prepare his children for the estate. He was, in my opinion, he was absolutely a visionary. Yes, Yes. He was somebody that wanted to have impact in his family 100, 200, 300 years after he was gone. Absolutely. And, I mean, he couldn't even Google that stuff back then. Right. I mean, he had to take out the full quill pen and write it down in, in cursive. Well, and to get the family together to talk about it was not some big group they text message. They couldn't Zoom or FaceTime. Right. or <laughs> They actually had to fly into Paris. Fly. Yeah. They, didn't they have planes back Fly. Oh, well, maybe it was before Will, I don't think Wilbur was born yet. Oh, okay. So they were training. Training to Paris. And, and boating to Paris. Right. To have that meeting. Yeah. So these were all kind of the foundational things that got us started or, or got us going with the blueprint. And now we get into the meat of how we actually build the blueprint, what it actually looks like, and how we think about this relationship we have with money and how it's going to serve us over our entire lifetime. And I think that becomes the key to this discussion is how do we think about our money in terms of time frames. I think what we're going to go over today is shock and awe. Like like George W. Bush kind of shock and awe? It, not really, but our own our own version of shock and awe relative to what everybody has learned or has been taught 
or has been told, right? Differences there. Something you learn and something you've been taught and something you've been told all have different implications. Wow. You've got a future as a language arts teacher. It, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling a little deep today. I don't know why. <laughs> I know why. Because the market is at the time. I mean, so let's just tell everybody. I mean, at the time we're recording this, the market is doing backflips. Yeah, at, not uh, Olympic quality backflips. Uh, more in the uh, – More the way I used to do backflips in the pool. Crash and burn. Crash and burn backflips that yeah. hurt when you hit the water. Yeah, Dow was down 1,000 points today. Right. So I understand why you're feeling a little deep today. Yeah. I mean – the very first thing that we we're going to talk about is cash and how, in our view, and part of why I think this is shock and awe, is in my almost 25 years of doing this, people don't think of cash as an asset class. What do I mean by that? Rhetorical, or are you asking me? No, it's, it's both. Okay. And. Yeah. Cash is part of your portfolio. Absolutely. You and I believe that. You and I believe that. Most people do not believe that cash is an asset class. What is an asset class? An asset class is just something your money is invested in. Cash, stocks, bonds, real estate, gold, silver, Bitcoin, a business, right? A gun collection, a coin collection, a golf club collection, a wine collection, whatever it is. An asset class is just some, some, some place where money goes and it has a job. You and I fundamentally believe, and we are very passionate about the fact, that cash has a job, a role in your portfolio. Absolutely. So many times, hundreds if not thousands of times in my career, I've always gotten the pushback with, so I, um, but it's not uh, – It's not doing anything for me. It's not doing anything. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's very quiet. Shh. Right. That's its job. Right? It doesn't have to produce what other asset classes in your portfolio need to produce and, frankly, are expected to produce. So is that – I mean, when you say cash is an asset class, are you talking about money in, like in my 401K, like money that I don't need for another 20 or 30 years? Is that is that appropriate for cash? What are we talking about Well, here? the key to what you said there was 20 or 30 years. If most of your assets are tied up in your 401K, 403B, 457, whatever, your qualified plan – Your retirement money. Your retirement money – and you only have one, two, three, four handful of years before you're retiring, then cash as an asset class, I would say, I would argue, is a very important component to that portfolio. Well, irregardless of what people may have heard before, you just said that. Why is cash now, now being the operative word to what I'm saying here, I'm obviously setting you up here, putting, yeah. the, putting the pitch right on the teeth Right, right, you. right, right. Why is cash now, if I'm retiring in the next year or two, so important? It has a very important job. It is the stress reliever to the whole ball of wax, right? Your whole portfolio. This gets into, are we ready to get into the barrels? Absolutely. Right. So this gets into another concept that I also am very passionate about in the sense that I don't think people have been taught this stuff. And that is that all of your money, number one, isn't necessary now. I don't need all my money. You don't today. need all of your money today. So if I've got, doesn't matter. Doesn't X matter how much money, money you have saved up. You I, don't need it all today. Hmm. Now, if you are doing something radical in your life, yeah, maybe it is. But that's less than one percent of people that will ever be really talking to about this stuff. So right? you're saying I need some now. So the concept of imagine, right? So imagine 
a piece of paper that has four different barrels on it. What kind of barrels are we talking about? Like a barrel, like an elephant stands on a barrel? Oil barrel, what are oil, we talking about? Whatever your favorite barrel. You like wine barrels, you like oil barrels, you like barrels of money. Oh, let's talk about big barrels of money. I like that. So think of it in four different segments. Four now, barrels. So I got a vision of four barrels in front of me. Now being the next, let's say, zero to three years. So my first barrel on the left side of my piece of paper that I'm envisioning this in my head is my now barrel. Your now barrel. And that is, wait for it. I mean, this is really heavy duty stuff. This is for now. Money I need now. <laughs> How? Now, in the, now in the sense of the closer you are to retirement, this is your buffer. We're talking about now in terms of the next year, the next year, two years. Two years, three years, right? This is the art and science of what we do because this is where we gotta we have to understand who you are as a person and your your own comfort level with risk and all that stuff, right? In in financial planning land. So this now bucket is intended to be covering living expenses. So if you think about what your your monthly or your annual burn rate. Let's make it real simple and say you need $50,000 a year to live on. To pay important foundational expenses. What you and I call our foundational expenses. So these are all the basics, right? right? Roof over my head, clothing on my back, food in my fridge, transportation, communication, health insurance. Yeah. So there's no what I would call fun in that bucket. Right. No discretionary fun money. No, No fun money, no travel, no entertainment. The basics. Right. So you're just covering the basics. If you think of what that costs you- how nice would it be to have some multiple of that in the bank in cash? I know that's a somewhat rhetorical question, but I'm going to share with you going back to, I think it was episode one or two, when we first talked about getting started on the right path, what did financial security mean to me? It was that. Having a year or two worth of cash just sitting in that now barrel, just it's only job being available peace, to peace me. Peace of mind. doesn't have to earn any money. It just has to be available to me. Peace of mind. And everybody pushes back and goes, well, it, it needs to be working. It needs to be doing something. Yeah, it is yeah, doing it is. something. It's doing one of the most important things in your whole portfolio, which is giving you peace of mind and what you and I might also call the emotional space to let days like what's happened today in the market where it's down a 1,000 happen. Well, that And was... you don't have to, to freak about it because- you have a year's worth of cash. You have whatever your number is, two years' worth of cash, three years' worth of cash. And this isn't something that you and I mandate the number to the client. This is a conversation that you and I have gone through. Right. And quite often it's very different in a couple. You know, Maybe the one couple doesn't really feel as though they need a lot because they can earn more. Yeah, well, maybe they're still working, right? So like in, in the case where with you and me, I know for me to have six months of cash set aside – is lovely. Is fantastic because I know I have a lot of confidence in our ability to do what we do for a living, and that creates more income for us. We have plenty of retired clients who have two and three years worth of cash. Right, because they're relying on their investments to provide all of the income they need to live on for the rest of their lives. So in days like today in the market where it's a big upheaval and you know people think financial ruin is around the corner, it gives them the, the space to be able to breathe because – they don't need this money right away. Yes, it's in their now bucket, but there could be two or three years worth of – sorry, not bucket, barrel. There could be two or three years worth of upheaval and they're still okay. Yeah, absolutely. 
next up the the barrel chart. So now you want to just... so we've so we've gone so we've got our now barrel on the left side, and and again I'm going to my little vision board here that I have in my head. The next barrel soon. That's a very technical term. Soon the soon barrel. What do you mean by soon? Let's say the the now bucket was zero to two years. Okay, soon is going to be two to five, two to, two to seven. seven, something like this. Okay. So it's kind of, you know, what's coming up next? Not really going to be your your crazy, wild, aggressive money. This is going to be up, you know, up up the old pyramid, right? If you remember those investment pyramids that talked about you build a base, a nice, strong, foundational base of cash. Yep. And then you move up into something maybe like CDs or bonds or treasuries or so take, know, things so take like me, that. So take me through this. So we're, we're thinking out loud. I thought loud. I was. Well, we're thinking, <laughs> we're thinking out loud with a client with each other about what kind of expenses do I assume are coming into my life over the next five years or how am I going to need this portion of my money over that five-year period of time, call it two or three to seven or eight years from now. Are we... I got four of them. Yeah. College bills, college tuitions. Sure. Right? That's in my soon, as do you, right? Some of it's in my now, some of it's in my soon. Yeah. Maybe you've got a home improvement project. Maybe you are anticipating a family wedding. Maybe you have a monumental, like, longtime clients who are celebrating their 80th birthdays in Africa. Mm. That actually turned into their now money. We took a little bit from the soon barrel. I was going to say, that was a soon thing when we first talked about yes. it, though. Yes. And we just made it a now item, Right. Well, that's all a- those upcoming expenses that are you know a few years out, again, give somebody the time and space to let whatever is going on in the world heal, relax, settle down, and recover. So this isn't necessarily the, – the soon barrel isn't necessarily a place that we have to keep everything in cash because we do have the benefit of a little bit of time. But is this a barrel that we can necessarily get super-duper aggressive with putting – all of the soon barrel in, you know, one particular stock per se, you know, a nice aggressive stock. Would we want to do something like that? We wouldn't. Why wouldn't we some, do that? Some people would because we're going to need the money soon. This isn't meant to be, you know, Abbott and Costello with who's on first. But, <laughs> I mean, soon is not now and it's before later. <laughs> so soon is about kind of going back to the last episode when we talked about the things we have control over. We have control over the amount of risk we take and this is a category where – where we would encourage people maybe to take a little bit more risk than just keeping the money in cash. Nice tieback. But not – thank you. You like that. Ah. But not taking so much risk that we don't have the time to recoup losses because losses can often take time. And anytime anyone's exposed to the stock market, the bond market, any risk-based asset class, there's always that risk of loss. Yeah. So imagine you needed that money and you needed it now after what just happened today. That doesn't feel good. Well, that's why we have the now barrel. That's why we do. Yes. Not everybody yet does that. Well, we're working on that. <laughs> one one listener at a time, we're working on that. All okay. right. So I'm going to throw it back to you. Okay. Uh, so we have now, we have soon. And if our listeners are paying attention, they probably know what's next. Later. 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 The later barrel, this is barrel three. Later is after soon. 
Sorry to be so Sesame Street here. This is funny and it's ha-ha and we're having fun with this. But this is seriously the conversations that you and I have with clients who are sitting face-to-face with us in the room. We don't have to complicate this stuff. We don't have to come up with these fancy industry jargony-based things. This is as simple as having money now, soon, later – and being able to establish don't, don't spoil it. I didn't put the fourth one in yet. Okay. Because there is a fourth one, which we'll get to, but keeping it very simple and looking at the potential for our life and the things that we're going to need our money to do for us, the jobs that we need our money to do for us in terms of these time frames. And not every time frame works out exactly as we plan it. So we kind of set these these periods of time. That's why now is anywhere from six months to a couple of years and why soon is anywhere from a couple of years to seven right. or eight years. Right. Now later money, we start talking about seven or eight years from now to potentially as much as 20 years from now. Right. This is the biggest time frame right. so for a reason. Can, what can we do with this money? With this, can we let this money bake in the oven and – And have some ups and downs and be okay? This money's got time. It's got the benefit of time. So yes, this is where we would start to encourage people to think about this barrel, this time frame as the place to start exposing some of your money to what we call risk. Because risk, you know, we hear the word risk and we get all scared. Risk, that doesn't sound very good. What most people I talk to about risk don't understand at first is that risk is a a two-sided coin. Risk is not just down, but risk is up too, right? Risk is up and down. Risk and the other side is reward. Reward, exactly. That's the the other side of that coin. So again, knowing that we have some control over the amount of risk we take, we hope that by taking a little bit more risk with money we don't need for a while, we can potentially have more opportunity for reward to make money. If you think about the money in the later bucket – And a day or two or three or a month or a quarter or even a year like today comes along. This now gives you a very different view of what that barrel of money is for. Yeah. And it takes the pressure, right? So let's do a slight little off-ramp here. Decision-making, I've learned this long ago. Decision-making is always impeded by emotion. I have some wonderful friends that are realtors. Why do they want to show you the house? When you're looking to buy a house, why do they want to show it to you? Seeing is believing and buying. Okay. They want you to emotionally fall in love with the place, right? Some aspect of the house, the front yard, the swing in the tree, the pool, the the view, whatever it is, they want emotion to enter the decision-making process so that you're going to jump after the house. Makes sense. That is the absolute most deadly thing to have in your decision-making when it comes to investing. So you're saying I shouldn't be looking at this every day? And I shouldn't be emotional about this every day when I make decisions. We've worked with many clients that have looked at this stuff every day, multiple times a day, so on and so forth. I get it. It's your money. I totally get it. You've worked hard probably for a very long time to get it. Now you've got it. You don't want to see it evaporate. Another reason why we have the four barrels, because if the job assignment with the later money is 7 to 20 years from now, You're a farmer. You grow almonds. You grow grapes. You plant a new vineyard, and it's, what, like seven years before before it it produces any fruit? Sure. So if I'm going to go out and look in the vineyard every single day and check all the vines in the vineyard every seven days for the first seven years, I may not be here. Right. You might uh, get a little frustrated. When the grapes actually start to produce. So please don't look at your portfolios every day. That later money, sure. 
on the, in the later bucket, that, that is intended to be tucked away for a long time. So the little, the little riff on emotions is that a day like today, a down day in the market is emotional. And it gets you to do, well, frankly, what I've always said part of our job is, is to help clients do the emotional opposite of what they feel like doing. Right. Like the phone call that I got today. I mean, what, what was nice about today was this is the worst day you and I have seen in the market in over a year. Yes. Right. And my phone rang twice. Right. So we got two calls out of 174 families, sure, right. about, give sure. or take. Two people called today because they were nervous. And the first call was a new client, and she was more concerned about making sure that the money that was in transit from a the old firm was here. But otherwise, she understood what was going on in the market today, and she was okay. The second client was truly nervous. Mm -hmm. Her eyes were glued to the TV. Sure. She called me. Right. What do I do? Yeah, you turn off the TV. And that's exactly what I suggested. I said, I go suggest- Go for a walk. Go turn off the TV, go in the back and feed your goats and enjoy your garden and go spend time away from the TV because you remember the barrel strategy that we put in place. Oh, you, yeah, thanks, Matthew. That's exactly what she said. Thank you. You and your husband have the next two years of living expenses set aside in cash. And oh, by the way, the soon barrel- that we very conservatively invested for you also isn't down nearly as much as what you're watching on TV. It was actually up today. It was actually up a little bit today because we had her in these things called bonds, right, for that soon money. And as we've come to learn over our career, quite often when the stock market is up, the bond market might be down and vice versa. It's like a seesaw. They, they sometimes move in opposite directions. And lucky for us today, we had enough of our client assets, especially their soon assets in these more conservative bond-like allocations that actually went up a little today on a day the Dow was down a thousand points. I had a teeter-totter as a kid. I didn't have a seesaw. Yeah, we had seesaws. That was my Southern New York start. I, I didn't move to teeter-totter. I can't spell teeter-totter, but right. seesaw like, sounds a little easier to spell. But when I moved upstate, I learned what the teeter-totter was and I learned what tater-tots were. Actually, you know, we're talking about barrels. Yeah. On my kindergarten playground. Tecumseh Elementary School, DeWitt, New York, we had a barrel, a gigantic barrel that was like a, it was like a hamster wheel. This was the most beloved toy, what do you, what apparatus on the <laughs> playground. And we would see how many kids we could get in this barrel. And then like hamsters, you started running in the direction and kids would start flying out. So needless to say, they took that away. And I would imagine too many, too many injuries. Well, I was hoping their moms and dads had enough money in their now barrels to deal with all the injuries that came from that barrel. The doctor, uh, the doctor bills, doctor visits. Right, exactly, exactly. So that emotion that creeps into your decision making, we're really going to encourage you to start to train yourself to do the emotional opposite. Right? Don't breathe in the gas of what the immediacy is in the media. Turn off your phone. Turn off your computer. Go for a walk. Get some exercise. Go have a nice cup of coffee, tea, meditate. Whatever it is that you like to do, go do it with someone here. We talked about doing things that you love to do with the people you love and the places you love. That is a wonderful exercise on a day like this that creates stress, worry, fear in your finances. And what I really appreciate what we're doing here, I mean, for me, I appreciate this because this was something you did for me back in 2005, was rather than just telling me to shut off my TV and go away, there was a strategy in place right? These barrels of money. What allowed me to be able to take that advice and walk away from the television set 
when I was panicked in 2008 when the sky was falling and every major insurance company and brokerage firm and it seemed like everybody was out of money and the world was coming to an end as we know it. But although we didn't have the exact framework down at that point, conceptually in my mind, I understood that I had different barrels of money that served me over different times. And in 2008, Amy and I had enough cash to cover our bills for six months. So I didn't have to worry about what my 401k, what my later money was doing, despite the fact that initially I was. I was very worried. But then I had these tools. I had this blueprint which is what we're trying to help a lot of people establish in their own life today. That is the name of the game, folks. So what's the last barrel? Okay, so just a, a quick recap. We have now, soon, later. So what do you think this next this next one might be? Are we waiting for an answer? Because we don't have a phone in here. I don't think anybody's going to call. And Our next don't... caller from uh, Walla Walla, Washington. From Tecumseh Elementary from School. From Tecumseh Elementary School is, is the head nurse, Mrs. Dodge. And Mrs. Dodge says... <laughs> The last never. barrel is never the never barrel. Never barrel. So you're telling me I have money that I'm supposed to have that I'm never going to use? Yes. Well, do explain yourself. So the never barrel is 20 plus years out. It's money that you have no expectation of needing or using. In many cases, and I know we have listeners all over the country and in a few countries now, here in crazy upstate California, people's homes have appreciated dramatically over the last 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. They have significant home equity. And maybe you're in a part of the country where you've paid the home off and you have you now have a lot of equity. When we run financial plans for clients and we go through the process of looking at how their life lays out from a retirement planning perspective, rarely will we ever use the equity in their home as something to support the retirement. So you're saying that pulling home equity out to buy some cool new car today uh, is probably not a good idea. It's probably not a good idea. The other reason we kind of call it your never money is we'll, we'll talk with clients, not necessarily older clients, you know, Depression era, World War II folks that really have a deep-seated desire to want to leave money behind to people. But more the, the baby boom generation that when we ask them, you know, is leaving something behind for your for your your family important? Nah, yeah, you know, that'd be nice. But my partner and I have worked hard to accumulate it. And, uh, you know, if we need it, we need it. And yeah. if there's something left over, super. That's where this never barrel comes in because so often that equity in the home. Or the equity in a business. Uh, equity in a business, whatever it might be that's going to roll to someone else, right? Okay. We have another client who has been very thoughtful in his planning with his money and has done a Roth conversion with an IRA that he doesn't think he needs. And has, well, and he doesn't want to pay taxes on that. He, he, he doesn't need it. And he knows he's going to be forced to start spending money out of this IRA because that's what the IRS makes you do. And so this Roth conversion that he's done that is now invested very aggressively, even though the client is retired, because he truly does see it. He doesn't see it as his money anymore. He sees it as he and his, his wife see it as his children's money. Right. So it's it's invested with a timeline for his adult grown children. So his Roth IRA and the equity in his home is in that never barrel. In the never barrel. You may have a family business that is something that you don't plan to sell. We have another client that has a wonderful home on the ocean down in the south on a lovely beach that they don't ever plan to sell. That is meant to be a a legacy asset that is passed down and passed down and passed down. Creates great income, 
creates fantastic income, but it's not an asset that is ever intended to be sold. This is the money with the longest horizon where if you're going to be like Baron Rothschild and you're going to be thinking 30, 40, 50, 100 years ahead, if you're blessed to be able to have money in this bucket, that's that's the timeline that you're thinking on here. Well, and I, th I think it's important, you know, as, as we kind of wrap up this conversation about how we build a blueprint for our clients using this different barrel strategy and looking at these different timeframes. I think it's important to talk for just a few minutes on where this all came from and what we've seen and what we've experienced through watching clients who've gone through the full spectrum of retirement. Let's think for a second about what retirement was a couple of generations ago, maybe when our grandparents retired. Sure. It might have been five, seven years. Yeah. You, you, you hit a mandatory retirement age. You get the gold watch. You get this cool thing called a pension. A little you, bit of Social Security. A little bit of golf, a little bit of lemonade on the porch, and you're All gone. done. All done, right? Life expectancies weren't what they used to be. But now, this period of retirement, and again, you and I, I think, have done a good job at redefining what retirement used to be and what it is today, right? It's, it's not necessarily not working, not doing anything. It's being financially independent. It's being at that place in life where if we're working, we want to, not we have to. But you and I have also experienced that retirement is not this one universal period in life like it once was. There are these phases now in retirement, and this is where these barrels become so important, right? I, I look at my own parents, and when I, when I think about where they are in their retirement, even though my father is still actively engaged and works himself you know, 50, 60 hours a week, it's all want to. He's financially independent. So they, for many years, were, were what I like to call in the go-go phase of retirement. Sure. Where go the, here, go there, go everywhere. Yeah. They were just going and doing and traveling all over the world and having those experiences that were very much aligned with the things that meant the most to them. What's, so the money in that bucket probably wasn't very aggressively invested because they needed it either now or soon. Yeah. The money they were, they well, again, my father was still working, so much of his now barrel was being filled with his current cash and, and income. But now what's happening is my parents are in their mid-70s and they're still real healthy, but they've been there, done that. So they're kind of transitioning from this go-go phase of retirement into more of what we like to call the slow-go phase of retirement, where they're not traveling as much as they used to. They're spending more time locally and at home. And again, not because they can't, but because they want to. Right. Then we look at people like my grandmother, who... Just because of her age in her early 90s, she has physical limitations where right. she can't go do the things that she wants to do. And this is where we enter that no-go phase of retirement right. where, where costs start going up again, where costs really start going up again. But at the same time, we're not really doing much. So we have to have these barrels of money set out to reflect these different time frames because – just from a standpoint of thinking about retirement, thinking about how we plan for retirement, there are these distinct phases where we're going to need our money to perform differently for us. Absolutely. That, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that is the lesson for today, Yeah. right? Is that not all of your money is needed now. Not all of your money has one job assignment, right? There are different, different barrels, roles and responsibilities right? that we're using barrels to help define, so that it's in alignment with these different phases. And if you're blessed to be healthy and active when you retire and you want to go do some of the things you've always wanted to do, you need, you need that money now. You, that, that money can't be at risk. That's the big takeaway I got from today. As you would say, coming up on a wrap here. Absolutely. So I, what's up next, Stanley? 
Well, next we're going to kind of wrap up this whole idea of building the blueprint. Now that all the foundation work, right, the the rules and how we think about our money. Now, you and I have just spent a good amount of time talking about how to actually structure it in terms of timeframes and barrels. What we're going to do next is in episode eight, we're going to talk about the enemy to the blueprint. Oh, yeah. The Darth Vader to the blueprint. Dun, 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 <laughs> dun, dun, dun. We're probably not allowed to do that. Yeah, we could do whatever we want with our podcast. Assist and desist. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, desist. We, yeah that's all right. We've, we, I've spent enough money going to Star Wars movies. I've probably <laughs> earned the right to do that. Yeah, so the, so the next episode, we're, we're going to talk about some of the things that could actually derail this whole blueprint that we've worked now right. several episodes to create. So thanks, Jim, for teeing everything up today and, and going through some of the stuff. You betcha. You're the best. That's a wrap for this episode of Your Financial Sobriety. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com, for more information and upcoming events like our two-day live event that we'll be hosting in October 2020 here in Sacramento, California. Thanks again for listening today, here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance.